Well, so glad to have you joining us here in Lufkin and everybody online and there at our locations. We are in part six of this series we're calling All I Need. And the beginning of this is more of a, a praise and a poem declaring the works of God. As I've mentioned, praise really is usually a, a something that I can't do without you. Praise is declaring beyond myself who you are. Now, worship, it can be just me and God. But there's something powerful like, about gathering with other people and praising the Lord, declaring how good he is. And so you can see that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. The, the author, Psalmist David, is communicating, praising that to other people. As he's playing his banjo or he's, he's strumming the harp, he's telling you, Hey, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths. Then when we get into the darker times, this poem turns into a prayer. This praise turns into worship. And he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And I mean, you got enemies and, and there's valleys and there's shadows and there's death. And, and it becomes a prayer. Now, now that we're almost, we're, we're like three quarters of the way done we are journeying through this entire psalm, only a couple verses left, but we're going to drill deep to each one. Very familiar passage, but Jesus loves to speak fresh things from familiar places. Uh, just because you read Philippians, like, you know, read it again, okay? It's amazing how when you take in a scripture, and when you slow down, and you really just, just inch by inch take it, it's amazing how it can speak fresh things to you. That's what we've been doing with Psalm 23. Now, I want to just kind of remind us here, if you've gotten it twisted, I need you to know this. In fact, uh, if you're taking notes at one of our locations, write this down. God calling you a sheep is not a compliment, okay? Him talking, when we say the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's complimentary, that's power, that's, oh, that's good. Him calling you a sheep is not like, you know, Oh, you're so cuddly and just, <laughs> you're just oh, I just, yes, you are. Yeah, you, you're my pet. I'm going to pet you and I'm going to have you. No. He calls you a sheep because, like, you got issues. You're not just cute and cuddly. Like, you, you get dirty quick and you, you, don't, you don't see good. You got bad vision and you, 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 you can't fight your enemies off on your own, and you go to the bathroom constantly, and you just, you, you, you get your wool hung up in a briar patch underneath a tree, and the shepherd's got to come with everybody else over here, and God pull you out of that briar patch. You fall over, and you literally are not aerodyne. You are not a greyhound. You are a sheep. You cannot get up. You're stuck, and the shepherd has to bring you and put you back right side up again. At night, every other sheep is in the pen. They've been fed. They've got their water trough. They've got their food. They are, they are counting people. Get it? Anyway. <laughs> we count sheep. They count people. I'm sorry. Uh, that was terrible. Um, we, they, they, they're, they're all cuddled up around the gate. The shepherd's there playing the harp. They're snoozing. And you say, oh, I wonder what it would like to be over there in the dark area. And so the Bible says we're like sheep, we go astray. You know, God's not complimenting us when he says we're a sheep. Um, he, but he's saying, even though you're a sheep, oh, I love you. And he doubly owns you. Not only does the shepherd uh, own you, but he then buys you back. <laughs> like, that's what Jesus does. He, he created you. He owns you because he's the creator and he created you. But he also buys his own creation back with the sacrifice of his one and only son. That's what God does. Now he says, I'll buy you, I'll take care of you, I'll help you rest, I, I, I will help you when you fall. When, you're, when you can't get up, I will set your feet back on the right paths. I'm going to restore you. That's just who I am. I'm a good shepherd that takes care of his sheep. And that's just up to the first half. But see, then we get into the, we get into the more challenging pieces of Psalm 23. And, and, and I think if we were the psalmist David, if we could sit down with quill and parchment, we would probably write Psalm 23 a little bit differently. Uh, at least if we could write it the way we wanted to write it. If, if, if we wrote Psalm 23 the way we wanted it to say, we would probably instead of say, 
Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We would say, yay, I don't walk through any valleys. Like that, that's how you and I would, would, would write it. We would run a, write it. And in 2019, you couldn't just write it like that. You would obviously in 2019 have to add a smiley face and a happy and content and crazy. And I'm crying so much, I'm laughing, it's so crazy. Like that's what we would add. The Bible would be full of emojis and gifs. If, if, if instead of... Um, Instead of uh, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, we, we would say you prepare a table before me in your presence. Nobody wants an enemy. We just obliterate our enemies, right? And of course, in 2019, we would add a heart and praise hands and I love you and prayer, 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 heart, heart. Can I also just give you a little heads up that um, those aren't prayer emojis. Those are actually high fives. Uh, that, that's what they're actually called. So when someone on Facebook says, I've got a crazy migraine, please pray for me. When you give that emote, you are high-fiving. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a major situation. I don't know what to do. High-five. <laughs> like, you know. Anyway. But whatever the enemy meant for evil, we turn it to prayer emojis. That's what we do. We, we, would, we would want to say, you wipe out all my enemies. Not that my enemies even exist. And, of course, we would add, the devil, he's dead. I'm 100. I'm strong. Happy Thanksgiving. But see, the scripture, we didn't write it. It's breathed by God. It's through authors, and they have their own personality there, but, but it's, through, it's through the Spirit of God. Gives us His words in the right way, in the right time, for exactly what we need, when we need it. Even though it was written thousands of years ago, it is, it's helpful. It's a, it's a compass for our life today. And the, David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There is something he's doing for you, and he's not doing it too late. He's not doing it too early. We don't want enemies. We don't want valleys, but he is busy doing the right thing in the right way for the right time for you. So a few thoughts I'd invite you to write down in your notes if you're going to take notes. Um, first was, would be this. He, he's not caught off guard. It says he's preparing, he's not surprised, he's omnipresent, meaning he can be with me in the valley and be way ahead of me preparing. He's behind me, he got, he's got my six covered, and yet he's beside me, and he is before me, and he's prepping, he's with me, he's before me. You know, my son, there's been occasion when he was younger, he'd get scared. He wouldn't want to go into his room, dad, will you go in there first? Go turn on the light. I said, Graham, go take out the, the trash. He's like, oh, will you go with me? Will you go with me? Go with me to take out the trash. It's 15 feet. It's 15 feet. He says, I know, but I just, you know, I just want you to go with me. And I just, you know, you do it with me once, I'll do it the next time. And so I go before him, say, see, look, there's nothing here. You know, I'm, I'm not a perfect father, but I'm a, I'm a decent father. Here's why I'm not a good father, because he's afraid, because the last time he did it, I did, I snuck out, and I said, how's the snake? You know, I mean, that's what I do as a father. And then he's like, I told you not to do that. I'm never taking the trash out again. I'm not the perfect father, okay? God's the perfect. He's not going to scare you, but he walks with you in the valley, and he's preparing, and he's preparing good things all throughout Scripture. He was preparing in advance he was placing people on the road at the right time and jesus would pass by and there were people that hadn't caught fish all night and it just so happens i mean wouldn't you wouldn't you know jesus shows up and invites them to launch out into the deep and w w isn't it just crazy that that like even though mary and martha said you gotta come now our brother is sick and he waits and he dies and he's dead and wouldn't you just know it he's already way ahead knowing exactly what's going to happen, where it's going to happen. He doesn't stop bad things from always happening, but he is always preparing and he's in advance and he knows what you don't know and he sees what you can't see and he will help you in the middle of it, walk through it, even though he's already been ahead of you. The Israelites are exodus from Egypt and they go from one tyrannical rule to the border of a very intense nation that they are fearful of, uh, full of opportunity, but also they happened to see the obstacles. And as they finally, after they've wandered because they were unwilling to face their obstacles and take the opportunity, they wandered for a long time, four decades, and then they're at the place where they're ready to go in, and Moses says, look, 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 everybody, gather around, and he has a team huddle, and he says, here's what the Lord says, we got to love him with 
everything, every, all your, how do I say, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. There is a word in the Hebrew, it says, with your very. In other words, it's, it's with your everything. Just, just love him with everything. He says, because when we get in there, there's going to be th- some things that were already prepared for us, and you're going to think that you, you did it. In fact, Deuteronomy 10, uh, 6 says it like this. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. He was ahead of them, preparing the place before them. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. See, the enemy, the enemy built all that. But God was preparing them in advance. He says, so when you eat at that table and you're satisfied, you got to be careful that you do not forget the Lord. How quickly we experience good things that the Lord went on ahead of us and prepared and we think that we did it all ourselves. And it's been an epidemic since the Israelites crossing over to Jericho. It's the same way with it. You think you're the one that got you where you are all by pulling yourself up by the bootstraps? And you, you are where you are with your family. Your kids are, are, are doing what they're doing and accomplishing. But God's in all that. And he's preparing stuff in advance. And, and here's what we think. We think we have to work for that. We have to do it. And, and here's another thing we get wrong that I want to make sure you, you see in this imagery that we're not preparing the table for him. We're not preparing the table for God to sit down and we're, we're the host and we're serving Jesus. You know, we can have such of a, a, a performance mentality in Christianity. It's important to serve him. It's important if you see somebody hungry, give them something to eat, somebody thirsty. You know, this is why we're in the prison, Duncan and Dieball. Because Jesus like real simply said, I was in prison and you came and visited me. Like instead of doing all these other things that God may or may not have said for us to do, why don't we get back to the basics and do what God already told us to do? And so that's why we're at Dieball and Duncan. It's why we're in Nagato. We're, we're doing what God's called us to do. But, but many times we can get this performance mentality and we start serving him and we're the one that's preparing the place and we're the one that's got God six and we're on his right and we're on his left and we're in the Lord's army, yes, sir. Or in the Lord's army, yes, sir. And we're like serving and we forget that, we forget this truth, write it down. He's the host. We're the guest. Like, he, he's the one in charge. He's the shepherd. You're the sheep. He's the host. You're the guest. And, and this is where David, this is where David begins to mix the metaphors a little bit. Uh, you, you could take the metaphor all of the pasture and the sheep and the shepherd all the way to the end of this story. Because when you think he prepares a table before me that sounds like this, that sounds like this. Um, but you you got to know that also there are tablelands, flatlands, plateaus all across uh, the Israeli terrain. And so it could be that the psalmist is simply saying, you prepare a, a table, uh, you, like you get rid of the thistles, uh, you get rid of the snakes, uh, you, you, prepare, you prepare a place for us, uh, a, a flatland. But David is also a king. He, he didn't just, he, he wasn't just a shepherd, he was a mighty king. And he understood what it was like to throw a party. He understood what a full table would look like. David understood what it would be like to host all kinds of people in the grand ballroom of the palace. David knew what it was like to have enough, to have plenty, and to be able to share it with other people. And so as we continue on in this this mixed metaphor of a shepherd and a a king, we we need to see this. And we need to understand and not skip past so quickly that he is the host and we are the guest. And so God says, please, please sit. I I, I was ahead of you. I was with you and I was ahead of you. I've prepared prepared this table for you. And and I, I, I didn't just send my son to die for your sins so you wouldn't go to hell. I, I... I gave my son so that we can be connected. Not just be the big man upstairs. I, I, wanna, I wanna have this. See, not everybody in the room today understood what was going on in worship. N- not everyone in the room today understands every nuance 
of the book of the of the books of the Bible. Some of us, uh, as the you know the the most recent prophet Kanye says, uh, <laughs> I used to think I used to think Job was a job in one of his lines. I used to think Job was job. Some of you thought it was psalm. <laughs> Psalm 23. You may not know the scripture. You may not even understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may not understand what salvation, you may not understand faith and grace and mercy. You may not understand what, what reconciliation between God and man even looks like. But everybody in the room, even a three-year-old, knows what this is. Every person on the planet, they may be sitting on Rugs, they may not have a tablecloth. They may do it a little differently, but everybody knows what this is. And God shows us one of the most simplistic and one of the most common things that people do every single day. And he wants to use that illustration. And every time I'm asking Jesus, every time you sit down at a table for the rest of this year, you would remember this is what God wants you to hear. Th this is what he's after personal relationship close proximity and intimacy breaking bread enjoying he says you, you thirsty man let me pour that for you i know you want to get up and serve me no i know you're like peter peter didn't want me to even wash his, his feet but that's not no i'm i, I want to i'm serving you yeah drink up drink up this is what god does he's a good father this is, what, this, is, this is how Jesus wants to act with us. This is the kind of relationship you and I are invited into. But wait! Hold up! Back it up! We got issues. Because we're not the only people at Cracker Barrel. We're not the only people in the dining room. In the parking lot. And back in the kitchen. And underneath the table. And around the table. At the other tables. They may be in disguise or they may be blatant. Write it down. We are surrounded. See, God doesn't just prepare a table before us in some kind of quiet chateau on the lake. He prepares a table before us in the midst of craziness, in the middle of tough circumstances. You and I, we sit down and we're surrounded by pressure. Tough circumstances, diagnosis that we didn't want to get treatment relationship that we went back to that we why did why did i do that the addiction the divorce that has just rocked your world someone someone did you wrong someone's cutting you down and you're trying to deal with it you you heard someone else has been saying these things and they're gossiping and you you're, you're, you've been trying to do, you've been trying to follow Jesus and you are surrounded. Some of you, I'm describing like Thanksgiving lunch for you. Because Uncle Fred's going to be there. And you know Uncle Fred and I know Uncle Fred. And you're surrounded. But whatever's pressing down on you, he says, don't, 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 don't worry about this. How, how often do we these days, we sit down with the people we love, the people that will be on the front row of our funerals. And we exchange time with them for a phone full of people that probably won't even be at your funeral. We, we, we focus on liking a, 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 a picture because we have literally become addicted to doing this. Because if we don't do that, maybe they won't like our stuff either. We go through and we have this fake world that takes real time away from the most important people. Now that is good. Preach, preach. This is what Jesus is all about. We exchange it not only here, but then we focus. God is here wanting to talk to us, and we can't help but be worried about all the other enemies around us. But he said, I'm not going to prepare a table before you, just me and you, and you'll never have trouble. Check it out. You will have trouble, he says. But there's, a, there's another reality at play here, and it's this. There, there's not only the reality that you are surrounded by enemies. You don't have to focus on them. He wants this with you. 
But here's, here it is. Write it down. Someone else wants to sit at your table. Someone else wants to sit at your table. And it's, and, it's, and it's not the little kid who's at the kitty table. It's like, I'm 15. You got me with the two-year-olds. You don't even know, Mom. You don't even know. Look at this. You can see it. Look close. It's mustache. It's, I know, it's mustache, though. You're going to be sitting down here at the Spider-Man, you know, poker table. I'm not talking about your kid going through puberty. I'm, I'm talking about someone else who wants to sit at your table. The enemy. The devil himself that is a real foe, a real enemy that is not, that is not to be just kind of, you know, <laughs> whatever, hocus pocus. He's not dressed in a red spandex suit with a pitchfork. The enemy wants a place at your table. He wants to pull up and say, oh man, what's up? He's to talk to you. How are you doing, man? You mind if I, mm, refreshing. <laughs> hey, I'm going to just borrow this for a second. Uh, how's a relationship going? <laughs> I don't know how you do it, bro. I mean, your wife. <laughs> nag, 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 nag. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. It's like, you didn't do it this way. You didn't do it that way. <laughs> Why didn't you shut the door? Why do you leave Coke Zero cans all over? It's getting too personal. I got to stop. <laughs> uh, let me take this if you don't mind. This, thanks. You know, <laughs> I know you said you're never going to be like your dad, but you remember the way you talked to your kids yesterday, right? <laughs> yeah. Your dad's a deadbeat. <laughs> You said you were never going to be like him, but your kids are kind of, you know, they're just kind of seeing chip off the old block. I, I, what do you think about that? Hey, I know, I know you think that, uh, I know you think Jenny's got your back, but uh, you know when you left the other night, Jenny started talking to Bethany, and she was all like, oh, she doesn't know this, and she doesn't know that, and, and you were worried about, you, you ought to worry about that. Like, they are totally behind your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're doing, dude. You probably, you probably ought to shut them out, to be honest with you. Don't worry about it, though. I got your back. I got your back, dude. You and me, for life. Uh, we're going to get it. All right? Ride and die, baby. And just like that, the enemy gets at your table. Puts thoughts in your mind woos you, doesn't try to just to uh, make it obvious. He, he's, he's crafty. You know, there are two errors that we make when it comes to the enemy. Uh, number one, we underestimate the enemy. It's not in your notes. You can just write it down somewhere. We underestimate the enemy. He, he is, he's a real enemy. He's a fallen angel. Uh, he was a creation. He's not, it's not like this, uh, it's not like put him up dukes, robo fighting where maybe God will win, maybe the enemy will win. He's a completely defeated foe. You don't even have to waste your time on him, but don't underestimate him either B because he's a, a real enemy. The, the other error we make is we overestimate the enemy. <laughs> so you got some people like, ah, hocus pocus, that's all made up, the devil, blah, 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 blah. We've been trying to fix our own issues for a long time. I'm telling you there is spiritual darkness at work in the world. And if you think, oh, come on, that's, that's a, you, you, you need to expand your cultural worldview, all right? You growing up in America puts you like in this much understanding of culture. All around the world, there is a reality. People are still understanding there is a real enemy. But you don't want to overestimate your enemy, and every single time you got a migraine, you're casting stuff out, and you're pouring salt around your house, and you're casting demons because the, the blender is broken. Oh, in the name of Jesus, demon, a blender broke. You can't cook. The stove is out. Oh, in the name of God, oh, the devil's coming. No, the stove, call a repairman. Don't make a prayer over it. That's not the devil. That's just like, you know, GE or whatever. You, got, you don't overestimate him, but don't underestimate him. Without underestimating him. In fact, First Peter says it like this. Be alert and of sober mind. Like, 
face this with reality. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around. He's around. Like, like a roaring lion. Okay, that's intense. Looking for someone to bug, someone to annoy, someone, no, to devour. And the, the, the trick of it is, you, you, you probably won't see him as a roaring lion. He, he's probably not going to show himself that way. In fact, write it down. The devil isn't out to stab you in the throat yet. He doesn't come up to your table and like, you know, you know. That was a little graphic, sorry. He, he's not one to like, ha ha, put, put it in your eye. He's subtle. He's he's not out to cut your throat. Actually, write it down. He starts with seduction. You may not not even realize he's at your table. He shows up looking good. He shows up, uh, uh, you know, looking like what you're looking for. Sounding sounding like what you're listening for. Selling what you're thinking about buying. He he knows, he kind of knows you. See, he's prowled around long enough to know what would entice you, what trips your trigger, what, what gets the fish to bite, what distracts the sheep from the path. He's that lion that's crouching in the weeds, and he's, he's, he's waiting for you to get distracted with a nibble here and a nibble there, and he'll pounce or he'll, like a fisherman, he drops that lure in. And he just waits. He won't come to the table saying, I'm going to kill you. But he will seduce you. He will will tell you to abandon everything you know about truth. When when the going gets tough, he'll say bolt. When when, when things are on the line, he'll say, just just do what they did. He he, he has a way of saying things because He's got a language. He speaks a language. Write it down. His native language is Greek. No, that's a joke. His native language isn't Greek. His native language is lie. That's what what his language is. What do you speak? I speak a little Spanish. What does he speak? A lot of lie. That's it. He speaks lie. He's so comfortable in it. He dreams in lie. He walks speaking lie. He can speak lie in slang. He can speak live to where you understand it, to where I understand it. He lies to you. And he wants to lie to you at the table. It was never meant to have a seat for the enemy. It was meant to be communion and relationship with you and Jesus. So the question I have for you today is, if he's subtle, if he's got this seduction, if he, if he has a way that kind of he's nicely dressed, not with a pitchfork and spandex, how do, you, how do you know if the devil is, is at your table? How do you know? Well, let me, let me offer you some, some thoughts. If you've ever heard, if you've ever heard, it's better at another table. My friend said this was just hocus pocus. I read a blog by JerryJoe676 at yahoo.com, and they, were really, they had some really good things to say about the ark or whatever. A celebrity I follow is really smart. They, they just said they're an atheist. And so, I mean, I mean, they're pretty smart. I say a professor at SFA, you know, philosophy. And they said, oh, this, you are, you're, you're naive. You're ignorant if you want to put your faith in something like this. They, and, I mean, they, they've read more than I have. They're a professor. I'm a student. They must know. I mean, you know, if you've ever heard, it's better at another table. I, you know, serving God's got so many restrictions. You got to obey all these commands. It's all do this, don't do that, blah, 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 blah. It's better over here. Enjoy, indulge. Nobody will know. Just, just, just take a break. You, you deserve this. It's better at another table. Jesus himself says it like this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come. 
that they might have life and have it to the full. That's the table, a full table, a life-giving table. The other tables that culture wants to offer you may have some morsels, but those calories are empty. You've got to understand the bread of life is available, and he's prepared it before you. Surrounded by your enemies, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Trust him that he has got a full, good, life-giving table. It's not better at another table. Number two, if you've heard, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. Today, we worshiped God together. We sang about the goodness of God. How he's freed us. How we're, we're victorious. How, how he shows us. How we, how we know he's working. And even in this moment, there are some of you, after declaring it and even... Just with all your heart, whether you raised your hands or not, with all your heart, you're like, yes, I believe it. And right now you're thinking, I'm not good enough. You can sit in an entire worship service and you say, oh, I'm such a failure. I'm never going to get it right. I'm never going to get past. I, I, I blew it. I blew it. I threw away the plan. And that's what you're thinking. I'm not good enough. And yet, that's not what Jesus says about you. You sit with him long enough at the table. He's, he's, not, he's, not, he's, not, he's not slapping you across the table with a belt. Sit long, sit long enough with him and you'll hear what he says about you. In fact, we go back to that scripture. This, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. The very next thing Jesus says. He says, don't get it twisted. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You're not good enough? He lays down his life for you. You think you're not good enough. God scooped up the most valuable treasure in heaven and spent it on you and on me. And you're not good enough? The one and only son of the living God who spins the world into existence, who places the stars in the heavens. You're not good enough? Made in his image? You're not just like angels. Angels have their place. They're incredible beings. But God created angels and he created humans. And you're made in his image. And you're not good enough? Yes, you're. You, you, let, let me say it this way. Okay. Mm, you're not good enough to earn it on your own. If you want to look at it that way. You're not good enough to earn anything. To like finally he says, okay. You don't, you don't have to come from the kitty tape. I'll finally, because you memorize that script Be, because you started giving in the offer Be, because you you know stop laughing at those dirty jokes and only laugh at how dumb the devil is <laughs> now you can come sit no no he's see the, here's how god looks at you here's why he says you're good enough because when you invite jesus to cover your sin it's not only covered it's washed away and now what now what god sees in you he sees jesus is jesus good enough for god then if you have asked Jesus to be the center of your life, if you said, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I'm tired of being my own God. Will you save me? Will you give me a fresh start? Guess what God sees? He does not see what he washed away. He sees Jesus. He sees you through the sacrifice of his only son. And because of that, you're enough. Because of that, you don't have to question. You didn't earn it, so you need to be able to sit back and not try and make Jesus laugh with your jokes not try and say oh Jesus oh, I, I didn't serve you enough I'm so sorry or oh I spilled my water like you can't earn it you're not, you, you never will be good enough but you are enough because Jesus says you're enough when you find yourself in him number three if you've ever heard I'm not gonna make it you ever heard that I'm not gonna I don't even know what to do I don't know how, where I'm gonna go I, I, th this can't be how am I going to even make it through this valley? Oh, I can't get past this addiction. I'm not going to make it. We say that to each other. Man, I don't know how this is going to work out. Man, I'm not for sure. I don't know how I'm going to make it through Thanksgiving because you know Uncle Fred's coming. I'm not going to make it. We say it. The enemy. We even say it to each other. I don't think, I'm, I, I don't think this marriage is going to survive. Can I tell you, you start talking about divorce. You start talking about divorce. You, you, you're damaging yourself. You're hurting yourself. 
you're saying, we're not going to make it, we're not going to make it, we're not going to make it. Not, not every ma marriage makes it. You're here. You're there. I get it. I get it. But I want to tell you, the enemy wants nothing but to destroy your marriage. The enemy wants nothing but to make you think you're not going to make it, especially this season that we're in. We're in this Thanksgiving season, and, and uh, you, you know, statistically, from, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, more, more suicides in this holiday season than any other time during the calendar year. I wonder why that is. It, it, maybe it's because there's so much... There's so much we're seeing, we're ending the year, and then we realize, oh, I didn't get past what this was, and I thought this year was going to be different, and now it's not here. Or there's a loneliness, or there's an emptiness, or there's a loss in this season, and everybody else feels joy, and you don't feel it, and you're, you're hurting. I'm not going to make it. I want you to know you can make it. You can make it. You're not alone. You may feel alone. Don't let the enemy come to your table and tell you that number four you may hear everybody's against me everybody hates me everybody's against me nobody no no nobody's on in my corner everybody's just kind of doing their own thing you guys ever had someone talk like that to you like no i just oh, it is whatever i can't you know i quit that job because everybody everybody's against me over there by hates me over there. Oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. What? How's the family? Oh, my wife's leaving. She's against me. <laughs> Everybody hates me and my family. Well, you got any any other things going on? Well, I went to go talk to my friends, but they don't even want to talk to me. They're, they they hate me. They're against me. Really? Maybe there's people against you, but not everybody's against you. Everybody, not everybody's against you. Uh, is it possible that someone hates you? Yes, it is possible someone is your enemy. It is possible someone just like sees you on Facebook and just like yells at you at the top of their thumbs and then deletes it. Now people talking about you behind their back. You, you, it is possible you have an enemy, absolutely. But guess what? Guess what? Jesus didn't promise that you would have no enemies. In fact, you want to be like Jesus? You want to be like Jesus? You're going to have enemies. Jesus, I mean, he's raising the dead, he's turning H2O into Merlot, and he's got enemies. He's got enemies. He's persecuted. Like, you're going to have people because you cannot make everyone happy. You can't make anyone happy all the time. You can't make God happy. But when we get into this people-pleasing thing, you're going to make more damage for yourself. You're just going to have some enemies. I've just had to figure out that I can't get everybody to like me in this town. There's going to be some people that feel certain ways about this church that are absolutely stupid, but I ain't going to fix it. I can't fix stupid. I'm going to love them. I mean, they can still be stupid, and I love them. But I, I'm going to have some enemies, and you're going to have some enemies. Get used to it. But greater is he that is in you than any other enemy you could ever face. He's not... He's not waiting for you. He's preparing a table, and he's walking with you. And when you're surrounded, he's right there. Now, the truth is, I, I wish we could get him from prowling. I wish we could keep the enemy from prowling, but I, I, I can't stop him from being around. And, the, and God didn't promise that to us. He, he said, I'm going to prepare a table. It is going to be surrounded by him. You're going to have stuff. There's going to be tough things. It's going to rain on Christians and pagans. There's going to be enemies around you, whether you did everything right and said everything right, there's going, you're going to have enemies. You may not be able to stop him from prowling. But you know, this, you know what Jesus did? He, did? he didn't stop the enemy from prowling. Jesus is baptized into ministry. What does the enemy do? The enemy follows him into the wilderness for 40 days, and he says, I bet you're hungry. I bet you, you haven't been eating for a while, have you, <laughs> Jesus? How about you, uh, how you? How about you turn this? Uh, whoop, how about you turn this plate into uh, into bread? What does Jesus say? Don't don't tempt me. It's written. You don't, you're not you're not going to tempt me. Man, man won't live on bread alone. So that's what he says. The enemy the enemy walks and follows Jesus to another place and says, "I spilled water all over me. Did you guys see that? 
I'm sorry, Jesus. He's like, you don't have to apologize. It's okay not to be okay. <laughs> Devil's following Jesus, and he says, I- I'll-, I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. He's already got everything. But that's the way the enemy talks. I'll give you power. Awesome power. It's like, you, you, don't, you don't even have the power to give. And he reminds himself through Scripture, you're not going to have a place at my table. You're not alone, everybody. So when you feel like the enemy is on the prowl, I may not be able to keep him from prowling, but I will not let him sit down at the table. You do not let him sit down at the table. You do not give him a seat. You do not, you do not let him sneak in into your conversations, sneak into that relationship, sneak in to those thoughts. He, he, he's wanting to say, man, did you, see, did you see Cindy the other day at work? Kind of like, dang, girl, she looking good. And you got to take that thought captive. You can't, you can't be listening to the enemy at your table. Are you with me this morning? I'm going to wrap up with these, these thoughts. A few months ago, I had a, a great privilege. You, you may not know who he is, but if you're in my world, you would. But um, I had the privilege of sitting down a few months ago with John Maxwell. I, I call this um, four, four score and 96 pounds ago is what that was. Um, but John Maxwell is a, a leadership expert, and he's an incredible author. Um, if you're looking to sharpen your saw of leadership... This is one of like the seminal places to go is a John Maxwell book. 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, Today Matters, you name it. He's got dozens of them. And I had this privilege in Florida to sit down at a, at a table with John Maxwell and, and have breakfast with John Maxwell. I know you don't know him. I'm telling you like, whoa, it's big. It's, I'm a big deal now. No, I'm kidding. So I sat down with John. Now, you, let me tell you what I didn't do. And can I tell you what not to do? You sit down with somebody that is smart and smarter than you. Shut up and listen. Like, shut up and listen. And so I just had a piece of paper and a few questions. And I just asked some questions and I just listened. Okay? I didn't take up all the conversation. So can I just encourage you with something? Jesus wants you to know today this is what I want. This is what I want. I want relationship with you. And I'm at the table and I'm, I am the God of the cosmos. And it's okay to talk to him. It's okay to talk to him. He wants to listen. He'll listen. Like, he's not going to interrupt you. He, he'll listen. In fact, he doesn't get tired. He's like, we're going to wrap this up. He says, keep me up. In the Isaiah, just keep me up with your prayers. As though he sleeps. He says, I'll listen. What you got? And you know, if the enemy wants to speak into your life, how much more does Jesus want to speak into your life. So I want to give you a, I want to give you a little bit of a, as we wrap up, I want to give you three questions to ask when you sit down with Jesus. In fact, I think it's completely fine. I think Jesus is okay. I think he's all right with you setting up a laboratory, setting up, setting up something. Because if Jesus was in the flesh right here, like I said, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus, and he walks out, like, first of all, you better be bowing down and going crazy, and I'm just going to, like, get off the platform. We're done. Because if, like, Jesus is here, like, he's, he's here, and you're looking at him, like, oh, man, that's Jesus. He's as real as that, though. He's as real as that. And I know, you, I know, I know we, we want to be able to touch him, but do you know what? He gave us something better than that. When he breathed his spirit into us, he made it to where I'm not the only one that has, gets to sit down with John Maxwell. I'm not the only one that gets to sit down with Jesus. He wouldn't have time. You'd have to wait a million years if every person got a chance to sit down with Jesus in the flesh. You'd have to wait forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Think about that line. But because of the Holy Spirit, he is immediately accessible to you 
and as real as the flesh. In fact, more real because your flesh is dust. And it's temporary and it's going to go away. Your dirt suit is going to die. But your spirit lives forever. And that spirit is real. Jesus gave you that and he is real. And he sits with you. And I encourage you this week, make it a practice. Put a chair in front of you. Put an empty chair in front of you. Just sit. And just know, as real as it would be if someone in the flesh was sitting there, Jesus is in the room. And when you feel surrounded and you're, you're offering things to the Savior, ask him some questions and listen. Here's a question you could ask. Jesus, do you know my situation? Do you see what I'm going through with this marriage? Do you see how far off my son is? Do you know? Do you care? You can talk to him like that. You can talk to him like that. Because he's prepared a table to not just host you and go to the back room into the pant- in the butler's pantry. He's, he's prepared a table to be with you even when you're surrounded by your enemies. Do you know my situation? Here's another thing you can ask. Is my situation that I'm telling you about too hard for you to handle? And he says, oh, is it too hard? Is it too hard for me to handle? Let me talk to you, son. Talk to you, girl. I've been around a long time. In fact, before I even created time, <laughs> I got enough for you. I know your situation. I knew a guy that was thrown into a pit of lions. I knew some people that were surrounded by enemies and they threw him into a furnace. I didn't leave him there. I didn't leave that guy with the lions. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I know you feel it. I know you see it. I know you see the enemies. Look at me. I know your situation. It is not too hard for me to handle. Third question. Okay, I, you see me and you, you, you have the strength. Do you have a good plan for me? <laughs> do I have a good plan for you? Do, you ha- do I have a good plan for you? Yes. <laughs> Before you were even like knit in your mama's womb, I had designs on your life. And I know you chose some things and you've gone through some things and you've had some hurts and you've been surrounded. I still got a good plan for you. And I want you to know that the plan doesn't stop on this side of heaven. Actually, here's how the plan really unfolds. You're going to be able to dwell at my table forever and ever. That's my, that's my plan for you. I got heaven for you. Ain't nothing in this world. It may kill you, but ain't going to put you out of my house. You're not going to stop being my son. You're not going to stop being my daughter. Nothing, nothing you could do. I mean, if you don't want to sit here, you don't have to sit here. But I'm telling you, I have saved this seat for you. So friends, do not give the enemy a seat at the table prepared by God himself the table that is full of living water full of bread of life full of good things for you he wants to host you he says here's your napkin here's your food (laughs) let's talk would you close your eyes with me this morning If you're here and you feel far from God and maybe you've been trying to earn your place at the table, maybe, maybe you've been trying to find satisfaction at another table, I, I want you to know you're not alone. <laughs> like that's all of our story. We've all sinned. We've all tried another table. 
We've all taken for granted God at our table, and we've been, all of us have been focused on the enemies around us. Like we do it, you're not alone. But you don't stay that way. Don't stay that way. And you're here today and you're feeling like, man, I want a place at that table. Man, I need to get close to Jesus and talk to him at that table. I want you to know there's nothing you have to go and fix. You just have to believe he is who he says he is and you have to surrender to him. And just by saying it, God, I surrender to you today. I believe you are who you say you are. And I want to begin to follow you. I don't even know what my next step is, but I do know I want to, I want to sit at the table you're preparing for me. And if that's you, you simply would say, in your own words, you can whisper it in your mind or whisper it with your voice, Jesus, forgive me. I don't want to sit at my own table. Would you forgive me of my sins, stuff that separates me from you? I, I need a fresh start today. Thank you for not being mad at me. Thank you for not putting me in the corner but thank you for inviting me to this relationship. I want it. I want it, and I'm going to chase after it. Thank you, Jesus. Eyes closed, heads still bowed. If you're here or one of our locations, and you say, boy, I've been listening to the enemy lately. Man, I do not want him to have a seat at my table, but I have been listening. If that's you, just with some honesty, put a hand up. I want to pray for you at all locations. I've been there too, everybody. And anyone, everyone, a pastor, you name it, anybody has the capacity to let someone, to let the enemy slide up a chair. But Jesus, we're going to listen to who you are. We're not going to spend this time talking about, talking to the devil. Devil, you don't have any authority. We're not going to even waste our time because he's a defeated foe. He's defeated. He's gone. He's done. He was, he was like lightning thrown from heaven. There is no equality between Jesus and the enemy. The only authority we give him is when we let him slide a chair to our table. But no, uh-uh, not going to happen. Jesus, this is your table. You've prepared it. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You've got good things. You've got it under control. I'm going to sit and trust you. Say it in Jesus' mighty name. And if you're with me, would you say amen? Amen.